Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 55 with Keisha Washington. I grew up in a family that does a lot of Southern cooking, but it's kind of weird because now in my cooking, I don't actually relate to that. And I find that other cultures inspire me. So I'm really inspired by Indian culture. Um, a lot of my dishes have that kind of take on it. And it's kind of interesting because I always kind of get all the time, do you really know Indian food? <laughs> do you know you cook Southern food? Do you really know that? And so to me, I like to explore and kind of just try new things. I feel like you should be able to do whatever you want to do in cooking, whatever makes you feel comfortable. Um, it shouldn't be this person because I'm black or I'm white or I'm Indian or I'm Spanish. You should only be able to do those particular foods. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org, and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. What's up, gang? So, on today's podcast, we have Chef Keisha Washington. She's the executive chef and owner of three culinary industry businesses. The first is The Key Ingredient, which is a private dining and chef table experience. The second is called The Kitchen Spectrum Collective, which is a platform for chefs. It's a one-stop shop for website building, branding, menu development, and more. And the third culinary business is a nonprofit organization called Cook's Creed Foundation that provides scholarships and grants for culinary individuals, as well as mental health awareness, resources, and mentorship. On the show, we discuss pricing of personal chef dinners, landing gigs out of state, cultural appropriation, fusion, and cooking food you love, managing workflow when you have multiple businesses, content creation and marketing, cooking competitions, and setting up a nonprofit and a board of directors. I think we have a really great episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for listening. All right. Welcome, everyone. This is Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. Today on the show, we have Keisha Washington. She is the executive chef and owner of three culinary industry businesses. The first is The Key Ingredient, which is a private dining and chef table experience that caters to high-end clients and has been in business for over six years now. The second business is called The Kitchen Spectrum Collective, which is a platform for chefs. It's a one-stop shop for website building, branding, menu development, and more. And her third culinary business is a nonprofit called Cook's Creed Foundation that provides scholarships and grants for culinary individuals, as well as mental health awareness, resources, and mentorship. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hi, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> so it sounds like you have a lot going on, uh, ambitious with three culinary in, uh, industry businesses. I do. I do. It is a lot going on. I actually started the last two businesses um, during COVID. So <laughs> yeah, it's super exciting. I think a lot of people are doing that, you know, finding a way to kind of adapt what was working and what isn't. And if you're home right. and have the time to build businesses, seems like a yes. perfect time for that. Yes, it is. So how did you get in the culinary industry? I mean, it sounds like you have extensive experience. How did that start? So I kind of got into the industry by happenstance, actually. I was actually in the medical field for over 10 years. And one day I decided, 
I don't want to do medical health anymore <laughs> and decided to switch gears and go to culinary school. So I went to Stratford University and I did their um, dual program, which is um, one half of advanced culinary arts and the other half in hospitality business management and uh, graduated in 2012 and hit the ground running, basically. <laughs> Did you always enjoy cooking? Was this something that had been looming in the background for a while? Yeah, I loved it. Um, my family cooks a lot. Um, we used to do Thanksgiving and Sunday dinners all the time where everybody kind of came to the house and cooked. And they always had me in charge of desserts. So I basically started out with baking, pastry arts and stuff like that and just loved it. And then finally decided, let's let's do some more kitchen stuff and kind of went into culinary field that way. Yeah. So when you got out of culinary school, did you start in restaurants or hotels or something like that? What was the trajectory there? So I actually did not start in a restaurant. Um, I kind of, (laughs) right. Chef without restaurants. Exactly. I started, I, I started actually with my own business. So I got out of culinary school took a couple of years to kind of decide what I really wanted to do. I didn't really want to go into the restaurant field. I kind of felt like um, that restaurant life, the 60, 70 hour week wasn't what my thing was. And so I started my personal chef business and took off from there. Yeah. And that was in 2000, 2014. Wow. Congratulations. Because you. you know how, how this goes. A lot of people start it. It's kind of a side hustle and then it fizzles out a little bit. And to see someone who's been doing it for so long, but I have to say your food looks amazing. Just looking Thank at every you. single thing you're doing on Instagram. Thank I want to eat all that food. I, I definitely <laughs> repost my share of, of your photos there. <laughs> Thank you. Well, how did you kind of get the business off the ground? Did you start with cooking for people you knew? How did you grow it to where it's a successful personal chef business? So I actually started exactly cooking for family, um, cooking kind of like my mom used to be a consultant and she used to put on like small events. So she would hire me to do all the events. And so um, it kind of took off from there. I kind of built my client base. And then um, since I also worked full time in a doctor's office at the same time that I had my business, I would let my clients know at the doctor's office, hey, I just started a business. <laughs> um, if you ever need a private dinner or a private party, let me know. And that's kind of how my clientele kind of grew from there. And I used to work downtown DC um, at the doctor's office. So of course it was always those kind of high-end kind of clients that came out um, and wanted to join. Yeah. I've talked about this a lot on the show because I kind of, I think I have the similar customer base as you. And I have a lot of newer personal chefs I talk to and they're in this grind of doing, you know, like $30, $40 a person dinners and they really have to work to get it. And I said, the money's yeah. out there. They're, the, cl- the clients are out there. And you yeah. know, I make no bones about talking about how much I make and how much you can make because I think people need to hear it. Now you need to be able to back that up with some real skills. That's and right. I, and I think therein <laughs> lies the challenge. I mean, you can be a personal chef that does, you know, barbecue food and salads right. and weekly meals and that's a thing. But there are also the people who go and spend a hundred dollars plus yes. a person at restaurants. 
who want to do it in their house. And I really think there's definitely a market for that. Yes, there is a market for that. And that's kind of where I started at with kind of clients doing 30, 30, 40, $50 per person. And then kind of as the menu kind of grew to things that they really wanted, that's when I kind of up my prices a little bit. Okay. If you want lobster, you want filet mignon, I have to, that food cost is going to be a little bit higher than 30, $40 per person. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I did a surf and turf menu last week and they wanted lobster tail and filet <laughs> and all those traditional things. That's and I'm pricey. like, I'm like, yeah, they're, um, I'm going to have to let them know the, the price adjustment on that. That's not, that's not a traditional dinner there. Exactly. What's your travel radius? How far do you go out for your customers? So this is kind of interesting because I travel throughout the DC, Maryland and Virginia area. I actually live in Northern Virginia, like really Northern Virginia <laughs> now. Um, but I do travel to other states. So I've done dinner in Louisiana. I've done dinners in New York. Um, I've done dinners in Delaware. So I will travel for the right clients and the right price. <laughs> so when you travel to like Louisiana, is that for someone you know, or do you ever get hired by random strangers to travel for events? I have gotten hired um, by random clients that kind of knew me. I, knew, I do know some chefs that um, were in Louisiana and Basically, they had some clients that were looking to do a particular type of dinner because I do a lot of fusion cooking um, and farm to table. So I have a lot of clients that will ask for that. So sometimes the out-of-state clients will ask, well, can you do a fusion dinner? Can you do a farm to table dinner? And I'll pick up my stuff, my knives, and just go on the plane and (laughs) there I am. (laughs) I'm always interested in that because... You know, I do, I say like a 70 to 80 mile radius. I'm in the same area as you, the DMV. And a lot of people talk to me and say, wow, that's really far. But then uh, last week on the Chefs Without Restaurants group, I posted that someone was looking for a chef in the Outer Banks and the number of chefs from DC that contacted me and said (laughs) they were in. I was amazed that I had almost a dozen chefs who were ready to pack up and get in their car and drive down to Outer Banks, North Carolina from DC just to go do a dinner. But you know, I think also right now with COVID and everything, work is down. There's a lot of people looking to make money and you do what you need to do. If it means filling up your tank of gas and getting on the road, that's what you got to do right now. Yep, you're right. So how has that affected your business? What's business look like right now with COVID and customers and all of that? So in the key ingredient LLC business, um, it's been really slow. Um, Since a lot of my clients, they want, I usually do dinners somewhere between six to eight sometimes more guests. Um, That's been really hard because a lot of people don't want that many guests in their homes. And I've been kind of taking precautions as to what food they can have, um, how my staff is going to come in with gloves and masks and everything. Um, It's been really slow. And I'm kind of a little down about it because it's going slower than I wanted to. But with all the COVID stuff kind of going on, I mean, there's nothing I really can do about it. Yeah. I've seen it start to pick up though. I went uh, like almost 11 weeks with no work, which was horrible. Wow. But now I'm starting to see the the people wanting to get back to gathering in small amounts. I think yeah. we're actually going to see potentially an uptick in business. You know, this weekend someone contacted me 
for a wedding and they were doing 15 people because they normally were going to have a hundred plus. And now they're just renting an Airbnb on a farm and it's cooking for 15. And I think there's the potential to see more of that kind of thing. I personally went out this weekend and did a dinner for about a dozen people. It was a 50th wedding anniversary and they did it outside. They They actually paid to have a linen company and a China company and a silverware come. And they had the tables all preset. So they had a oh nice, my goodness. yeah, I had never done a party like that. They had a pergola <laughs> outside and the tables were already set with linens and silverware that they did themselves. And then um, I had the whole house to myself. My wife came to help and the two of us did it and we were inside and everyone was outside for the whole party. So, you know, socially distancing outside, minimal contact, and then just taking dirty dishes, you know, wearing gloves, obviously rinsing them and just leaving them in a bin for a a company to pick up was really nice. Wow, that's great. (laughs) Yeah, I think if you can change how you do business a little bit, there's some opportunities there. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So what are the other two businesses now that you've started? So the other two businesses I started during COVID, which I know is a big risk, (laughs) but I wanted to jump out there and um, try something new. So the second business, which is called the Kitchen Spectrum Collective, was um, something that um, me and my fiance had been working on for a long time. Um, we kind of wanted to do a platform that had a one-stop shop so that chefs can come to the website to get their website building, their branding, their menu development, um, competition information, just a number of different things to help them reach their goals grow their business, um, and just do, you know, just do a couple of different things. And so um, that one kind of started off in, when did I start that one? I started that one in February. And it's been, it's been growing slowly. Um, We have a couple of groups on Facebook. We have the website. um, We have a subscription chef box that has all like types of little goodies in there. So that one's been really um, growing Fairly well. I will say that fairly well. (laughs) Is it just the two of you running that? So actually, um, and I'm I'm probably going to get into this a little bit later. So actually, I'm the only one running it because my fiance actually passed away in January. So I'm the only one that's kind of running the business. Um, I do have some people that kind of help me in that. but, But yeah, so I'm the one that's running that right now. I'm really sorry to hear that. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was it was it was sudden. Um and it's it's still been hard, but that kind of goes into the third business and why that was started. So, yeah. Do you want to talk about your third business right now? So <laughs> so, so the third business <laughs> started um back in May, also during COVID and um this one is called Cook's Creed Foundation. This is kind of the, this is the baby. This is the, um, this is the highlight of business, I feel like. Um, so the business was started because of my fiance that passed away in January. And um, he wanted to help, he wanted to help the underdog chef, the one that didn't get the recognition, the one that had mad skills, um, could definitely do their thing in the kitchen, but just maybe not get enough recognition, maybe not get seen enough, um, maybe not get the attention that other chefs were getting. And so this business was formed out of that um, so we could help 
high school students, culinary individuals, um, people going into the culinary programs um, to get scholarships and grants and funding um, to also help with mental health awareness and mentorship. So to me, I feel like that particular business is that's the baby. That's the baby of the business. That's that's the good one. <laughs> the great one. <laughs> I understand because it sounds almost exactly as to Chefs Without Restaurants and why I've started that and kind of a hybrid of your two businesses. The same for me. Um, you know, I make my money from Perfect Little Bites and I can I continue to promote that, but I really love the sense of community and helping yes. people. And this was just an offshoot because I found it was so hard to start my own business. I, I didn't mm-hmm. really know the roadmap. And as I started to find success, other people were looking to me to kind of give them tips and tricks, be a mentor. I'm like, well, let's, let's start a community. I mean, I can't devote all my time to doing it alone, but if we have enough people on a platform, we can kind of crowdsource that info and, and share it out there. But I just found that in the food service industry, there was a lack of mentorship. Uh, Very few people wanted to help you out. And I started to see this really interesting group of people who were doing really cool things, you know, no attention. None, none of us are on the San Pellegrino 100 best, 50 best chefs. Nobody's <laughs> right, writing right, about us exactly. in Eater. I mean, a few, you know, a few people have broken out of the personal chef scene or the catering scene, but very few. Um, so I love the idea of that, being able to highlight those people because there's more people yeah. like us than people who are in the industry getting the accolades. And now as you see so many of these people, it seems like every day someone who's well-known in the food world is having some kind of thing come out, whether it be moldy yeah. jam or racist <laughs> comments or something. You know, I know, um, I know. That's so crazy. <laughs> you know, lots of, lots of skeletons in the closet. And, exactly, exactly. Uh, so maybe we shouldn't be putting all those people up on the pedestals in the first place. And I guess that's a whole bigger conversation. <laughs> that other right, people, right. That's a whole other conversation. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a, a big workflow too, because I know as someone who has websites, social media, I'm trying to post on every platform yes. and do all this. Why don't you just go ahead and start a podcast too? Because, you know. I was, you know, and I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about doing a Cook's Creek Foundation podcast and I'm so nervous <laughs> about it because I'm not sure where to start. Like I have all the materials. I have my computer. I have my microphone, you know, so I have all the materials. I just, I haven't had that push yet to be like, just do it. <laughs> if you ever get bored and decide you want to take it on, let me know. I've uh, just another thing that I've taught myself how to do. What's your inspiration for food and cooking? What things really get you excited in the food world? Probably my biggest thing is food trends. I'm, I'm such a like hoarder. I, and I, I'm saying that lightly because <laughs> I collect cookbooks and cooking magazines, um, always trying to find out what the new food trend is, um, what's the new thing in the culinary industry um, to kind of build my business off of, or just to build my cooking or food photography um, off of. Um, So I'm always looking into that. Um, Another thing that inspires me is just seeing other people doing what they're doing, like especially like with you with the podcast, um, with just, just call me chef with her business that's going on. Um, it's just been so many great things that I've seen from chefs that they're putting out new content, new information. And to me, I feel like that's inspiring that, you know, I can also do it too as well. So yeah, absolutely. It can be a little bit of overload at some point where you, you're taking in way too much stuff and and trying to focus 
I have a little bit of ADD running through me and I find that I have to just kind of make a list of like the top things that I want to do or read or work on. Otherwise, I'm all over the place. And right now with recipes, you know, there's also a lot of scrutiny about cooking your culture or taking from other cultures and appropriation. And that's such a a hot topic. I mean, myself, you know, I've often said I'm a white guy. I grew up in New England. You know, my ethnic heritage is mostly English, but I have no ties to any of that. I have no desire to be making, you know, New England food or British food or any of that. And where do I find my place in the culinary world? And how much should I be making Mexican food or Filipino food or whatever? And then profiting off it. I mean, at least I haven't, you know, been one of these people who's like gone to Mexico and stolen recipes from, you know, some woman who's got a shop down there. Right now, it it seems to be a lot of people asking about where you learned what you learned and whether or not you should be cooking those foods. Do you have thoughts on that yourself? That's actually really good thinking about that because I, I grew up in a family that does a lot of Southern cooking um, because we were in Virginia and Virginia is one of those states where it's kind of, I feel like it's kind of like that midpoint of like Southern and then you have Northern. So we kind of like sit in the middle, but it was a lot of Southern cooking, a lot of African tradition background kind of cooking, but it's kind of weird because now in my cooking, I don't actually relate to that. Um, I do a lot of fusion and a lot of farm to table cooking. And I find that other cultures inspire me. So I'm really inspired by Indian culture. Um, A lot of my dishes have that kind of take on it. And it's kind of interesting because I always kind of get all the time, do you really know Indian food? (laughs) Do you know you cook Southern food? Do you really know that? And so to me, I like to explore and kind of just try new things. Um, So yeah, to me, I feel like that's really, that's really important when it comes to talking about it because there's there's a number of different cultures and I feel like you should be able to do whatever you want to do when cooking whatever makes you feel comfortable um it shouldn't be this person because I'm black or I'm white or I'm Indian or I'm Spanish you should only be able to do those particular foods so so yeah I would have to <laughs> I would definitely have to say to someone that says that you should be able to cook a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything. Yeah. And I think fusion is a good place to talk. You know, that's a a good word. It was such a dirty word in the food world for so long. You know, it was just like this weird mishmash of things, but I do think a lot of people, that's what they're doing now. I had a person who contacted me this past week who wanted specifically Hong Kong food. So like, that's a, that's a place where I say, I'm not the guy. Um, I, I don't know what that is. You know, um, I could look at some cookbooks and websites and BS it. But if you're coming for an authentic Hong Kong experience, that's not what I provide. Now, if you want dishes inspired by some of those ingredients or dishes, it's going to be my take. When you right, come to exactly. Perfect Little Bites, I want it to be my version of that. And that's kind of what I do. But to say that, oh, yeah, I cook Hong Kong food all the time. Uh, I'm not really comfortable. There are other cuisines I feel that I would do a really good job of and do. but you know, I think figuring out where you, where you fit into that really well. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm from, I'm from Massachusetts and I never really thought of this area as the South. Oh, right. You know, and sometimes (laughs) you see these things like best restaurant in the South and it's some restaurant in like, you know, the DC area or DC. And, um, 
Yeah, I never really understood that, but I guess we are south of the Mason-Dixon. Yeah, that's and actually that's kind of funny because that's one. I was talking to a friend the other day, and I was thinking, and we were kind of bringing up the restaurant scene in DC, and I'm just kind of like, you know, it's kind of crazy because I feel like we're in a southern in a southern area, but DC, D, Maryland, Maryland a little bit, Virginia a little bit, but DC doesn't really have that go-to cuisine that's kind of like your either your southern dishes maryland is known for crabs and seafood you know virginia is known for ham and stuff like that but dc doesn't have that it's kind of like a a mesh of things so yeah it's its own city of fusion food i guess or very authentic from a certain you know you've got a lot of great Ethiopian food there, which I love. And, you know, all these ethnic restaurants, you know, you could get really good Vietnamese or whatever culture, I think because so many people come to DC because of the nature of the city. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Yeah. So how are you dividing your time right now between all of your businesses? Do you have a a workflow or you just kind of process it as it comes in? So I try to, (laughs) I try to, have a day or a couple of days for each business. Um, my calendar kind of gets filled up pretty quickly when it comes to dinners, when it comes to being on the phone for partnerships, when it comes to trying to get chefs into do websites. It, it, it becomes very confusing <laughs> and a mesh pot of stuff that's going on all at the same time. Um, but what I try to do is divide key ingredient time for a certain amount of days uh, Cook's Creed Foundation for a certain amount of days and then um, the Kitchen Spectrum Collective for a certain amount of days. So I try to divide each of them throughout the week to work on content for each of those businesses because I find it's it's a lot of content that I have to put out <laughs> for each business. Yeah, it definitely is. I always try and figure out what is going to fit into which basket. I'm sure you get into that a little. I mean, yes. some obviously make sense with a lot of your dishes. It's probably going to go to the key ingredient, but then exactly. you might have a day where you want some food photos and it's like, well, I'll take one of mine from my other business and drop it on this <laughs> right. Instagram page. Right, exactly. As far as partnerships go, do you reach out to people a lot? Are people reaching out to you? What's that look like? So for the partnerships for the Cook's Creek Foundation, um, I've been reaching out to a lot of um, companies. I've gotten a lot of partners with mental health resources. That that probably is a huge thing. And nobody really talks about it in the culinary field, um, but that's been a really huge section of the Cook's Creed Foundation um, is getting those mental health resources. But a lot of times I reach out and I do have some people that will reach out to me. And I usually, before saying yes to a partnership, I have to put it over with my board, make sure that we're all on the same page. So yeah, I've been getting both both traffic either way. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of people have asked me about how you do that. And, you know, I think you have to definitely reach out if you're just putting out, putting out content is a good place to start, but it's not, I think, going to net the results that you're hoping for. Unfortunately, you have to send an email or even a DM to someone and just, it's tough, but put it out there, right? Right, exactly. And you're either going to get a yes or no. And to me, I feel like you don't know what that's going to be until you reach out. So do you do all your photography? I do. (laughs) I do all my photography. Yes, myself. And it's kind of interesting because at first when I was starting to do it, I was 
taking the pictures from my phone and I was just like, okay, well, let me see what I can do with my pictures. But then I kind of upgraded, got me a camera, got me some lenses and just, it kind of took off from there. So I do all my photography myself. Yeah. I feel like that's a standout thing, looking at the people who do what we do, that your food really does look like some of the best. I, I'm, you know, cause I, you. Like, <laughs> I like to share food photos um, on social media, but I want something that looks good. And, you know, I understand I post a lot of photos that don't always look Instagram worthy a lot of times, but as I'm going through looking at all the stuff people are doing, your food really stands out and pops. And hopefully... Hopefully that helps from a customer standpoint too. When people are looking for chefs in the food, I do think it makes a difference to make some food that looks delicious. Yeah, because it's kind of crazy because I think just recently my Instagram has kind of picked up with clients reaching out to me and saying, oh, I found your pictures through Instagram. You know, can I send you an email? We might want to do an event. And so it's kind of always interesting to me that you found me, that people find me on Instagram. So what are you doing for marketing? Marketing is kind of tough, I would say, because I'm always trying to find the right content to put out. Um, I'm always trying to either market either word of mouth um, with clients that I've had before um, and just putting out food pictures, putting out stuff on my, um, my business page for the key ingredient. Just always trying to find something new to do. The marketing, I would say, is kind of tough because I'm the one that's doing it by myself. <laughs> um, but I'm always trying to post new content, new pictures, um, sales that may be going on, um, stuff that I may be raffling off that's going on. So I'm always trying to find something new when it comes to the marketing part. Do you find that there's a point that you would potentially hire someone to help with that? Or do you just keep grinding Yes, absolutely. I kind of feel like I need that assistant that will help me with all three of the businesses. <laughs> um, but even in, I guess during this particular time, it's a little bit hard because everybody's trying to get back to work. Um, everybody's trying to get some new business things going on. So it's kind of hard to find that person that's going to be strictly for putting out information, putting out content marketing materials and all that. So, but yes, I definitely would love to have an assistant. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? I think it comes down to, you know, trying to make the most of your money. When you look at the costs of things like that, it's like, well, I can just grind and sleep two hours less and plan my marketing for tomorrow, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> and you mentioned that you have a board. So you have a board for the Cook's Creed Foundation? I do. So I have a um, kind of an executive board that has um, vice president, secretary, treasurer, and then I have two directors. Um, that board helps me with everything from raffles to fundraising um, to implementing programs. We actually just started um, a committee um, team as well, which has five members now. So our team is growing fairly large. I'm going to try to, I'm trying to add some more committee members to kind of help with social media presence, implementing programs and stuff like that, because it's a lot that the directors are doing, but we definitely need the help when it comes to social media presence, reaching out to partners and keeping those partners and stuff like that. So, yeah. Did you know anything about setting up an organization? Because that seems like such a different 
world than having your own personal chef business, as I know a couple of people who are in the process of looking at starting nonprofits. And that seems like a, a very much more complicated thing. It is complicated. I at first did not know very much about a nonprofit organization, what it entails, what are the details of it. I did not know. Um, and me and my treasurer, and my secretary did so much research before we even started to put together the Cook's Creek Foundation and to see what has to go into it, becoming a 501c3, um, just applying for a number of things with for grants and stuff like that. It's a lot in, in detail that goes into it. And so... I'm really glad that I started it, but now I'm starting to learn another side of business on what a nonprofit, what an organization looks like, what just my executive board does and what my committee members do. And (laughs) we want to start some chapters for each of the states that we have people in. So it's a lot of moving parts, (laughs) but I, I feel like it's worth it. But yeah, it's it's a lot of moving parts to it. Are your members mostly based in this area? How far dispersed are they? And how, what are you doing to gr- get people in other states? So my directors and committee members are actually all in different places. So it's based here in Virginia. Um, I do have members that are in Maryland. I have members that are in D.C. I have members that are in Louisiana. I have members that are in Wyoming and Alabama. (laughs) So they're kind of spread out all over the place. Um, But to me, I feel like that's good because we can cover more ground that way. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the biggest challenges I'm going through right now is I don't want Chesapeake restaurants to be associated with just being a DMV or even a Frederick thing. But we have such a higher concentration of members. And I use members lightly because there's no paid membership. But how do you branch out? You know, I'll post something on the Facebook group and 99% of the people who interact are people from this area. Yes, yes. And we have (laughs) we have 600 members in our Facebook group. And I know there's people from all over and I try and engage with them. I try and share things that are relevant on a national scene. I'll even tag people in posts. And it's like, come out, please. Like, I want you to, like, it's (laughs) going to be more of a national thing than a a local thing if you want to engage and figuring out how to get group engagement is is a bit of a challenge sometimes. Yeah, I do find that is a challenge. I mean, but to me, I feel like the more, the more the merrier, if I can get, it would be great to get um, people in all 50 states. To me, I feel like that reaches a wide range of audience. And so... I've even thought of having people being as like local, almost like brand ambassadors. Like, how do you get a hub? Like, where do you focus? Like, for me, Philadelphia is really close and I have a pretty decent pocket. So like, who's someone in that area who could maybe like take the ball and run with it and help out and, you know, kind of grow that way? Yeah, to me, that's that's really interesting that you said that because um, even though we're located in Virginia, most of my members are either Virginia or Maryland, especially Maryland. Um, I have a lot of members that are in Maryland, um, which to me, I feel like is a great spot to find chefs, to find culinary students and to help out with whatever implementing program that we can. Do you have any new programs, initiatives, anything that you want listeners to know about? 
so we have the uh, mentorship program, which we're, we're going to grow that a little bit because everybody, I feel like when it comes to the culinary field, everybody needs that mentor mentors <laughs> um, in the field because the culinary field can be tough. It can be hard. Um, and you kind of need that extra little push to get to where you're going or to reach your goals. Um, we're kind of wanting to branch out of the mentorship with helping the culinary students and individuals into possibly helping people that want to go into competitions, um, helping people that may want to judge competitions and stuff like that. So I would love to get some programs started for people that want to go into competition, people that may want to judge um, and just maybe learn the ropes on another culinary area, basically. Yeah. What kind of competitions? Do you have any kinds in mind? Are you thinking like barbecue competitions or like high-end fine dining competitions? So um, <laughs> so I love competing. I compete a lot, actually. Um, so some of the ones that I do, like the World Food Championships, which is at the end of the year, usually, um, that's a great one. They have tons of online competitions at um, Contest Cooked and um, Cooking Contest Central. Barbecue competitions, I think, are very interesting, and I would love to get into them myself. Um, but I think it's a wide range. So if students or individuals would love to get into that arena, I think that would be a great program to start. Yeah. I hate competitions. I mean, I... <laughs> I love I love the idea of them, but I hate right. the pressure. I've talked on other podcasts. I mean, I did the Mason Dixon Master Chef tournament in Baltimore with with other chefs. I was like the sous chef. They had restaurants, but I've had I've had a number of guests on now. I mean, uh, two episodes ago, Rich Rosendale. I mean, the guy was literally the chef that led the United States culinary team at the Bocuse Or in France. Like, I can't think of a, a bigger thing to do, but uh, and. But Philip Dell, uh, who was on a couple like last month, he does barbecue and has been very successful doing competition barbecue. But um, yeah, I like the idea of it. I, I'm open to doing like online, cook at my own pace at home, submit a recipe and photo. But the whole judges and cooking in front of people has never been my thing at all. I absolutely love it. I've been competing in competitions for the last, six years and absolutely love it. Um, the biggest competition that I've done is the world food championships. Um, I've done that for the past six, six, seven years now. Um, and placed top 10, five out of those years. So, I mean, I love it. It's, it's a huge adrenaline rush, but I will say it's, it's time consuming. And if you're not ready for the clock, the clock is unforgiving. <laughs> I had no idea about that uh, with you. I, I didn't know I had a competitor on my hands here. Yeah, super excited about it. Yeah, I'll be actually going back in November to compete again. Next wow. Year. So where's the World uh, Cooking Championship held? So the World Food Championship is held in Dallas, Texas, and it's usually in November. Um, last year was in October, um, but they moved it up a month, and I'll be I'll be going there competing in the recipe category again. I did that last year um, and placed top ten and finished third in my category. 
Uh, I was one point, <laughs> one point away from first place. <laughs> so I'm planning to go back and uh, win that title this year. That's what I'm planning to do. Well, I look forward to following your journey with that. That's exciting. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. But like I said, the clock, the clock is very unforgiving. It really is. Yeah. So do you work on new recipes for that? Absolutely. I work on recipes usually over the summer. So right now I'm working on recipes for that competition um, because recipes have to be turned in usually um, a month and a half before the competition. Um, And the competition actually is a two-part contest. So in the first round, you have to do two dishes. um, And then if you make the top 10, you have to do a third dish. So it's a lot of cooking. It's a lot of brainstorming. It's a lot of working with the team. Um, And my team is absolutely amazing. (laughs) Um, They do such a great job when it comes to um, going to competition, but it's a lot of work and it's fun. I'll say that it's fun, but it's a lot of work. Do you have your sights set on Food Network shows or Top Chef or something like that? So I have done Food Network back in 2016. I did a show on there called Fakers versus Bakers. And I will say it was interesting. I was I was not expecting what it was going to be <laughs> when I got there. Um, but it was fun. I don't know. I really don't know if TV is really my thing yet. Um, I would love to do Top Chef. Um, I think that's a great show, but yeah, Food Network's a little, that's a whole nother monster, I feel like, but it was fun when I did it the first time. (laughs) I'll tag Top Chef in the show notes and give him a little nudge. We always like to do a speed round at the end, but do you have anything you want to get into before we hop into the speed round? No, let's hop right into it. (laughs) Hop right into it. And the speed round isn't always as speedy. Some people are really good. Sometimes it evolves into a story. That's fine. Okay. Do you have a favorite tool in the kitchen? My chef's knife. That's a solid one. That's, yeah, my chef's knife, yeah. How about a favorite food to eat? That's a hard one because I love food. (laughs) But I will say my go-to all the time is salmon. Oh, okay. That's my go-to. Any particular ways or recipes you like uh, to work with salmon? So my favorite way is to do a sear to roasted salmon. So I saute and sear the salmon on the stove. um, And then I pop it in the oven and roast it the rest of the way. I usually do that with some type of sauce or glaze over the top. It's amazing. And I feel like it's kind of funny because my mom will always say, you get salmon right all the time. And to me, I do salmon so much, I can do it in my sleep. So I get it right all the time. <laughs> I think people either must overcook it or undercook it because I get the same thing. Uh, I, th- I think it's mostly overcooking is when people have bad salmon because I'll cook it for customers. And they say, this is so great. What did you do? I mean, first first and foremost, I think the thing that chefs do is we buy good quality products, exactly. right? Like, exactly. There's a lot of not great stuff out there. And if you start with good products, so that helps. What are some of your favorite culinary resources, whether websites, Instagram accounts, cookbooks? What do you like to go to for inspiration? And where do you think uh, people maybe should get some info? So one of my favorites on Instagram, um, and it's also a cookbook as well called Half-Baked Harvest, 
was one of my favorites. Um, I have the cookbook, um, Jubilee's cookbook. Um, um, what is the other one? Salt, salt, fat. I know I'm saying it wrong. Salt, fat, acid, acid, heat. heat. Yes. <laughs> one of my favorite books. Um, and one of my other favorite books that's really good is Jerusalem. And to me, I feel like that, like I said before, I'm a huge collector of cookbooks. So, um, and a lot of those are actually on Instagram. So I follow those as well. So if I can find the book and it's on Instagram, I'm going to go for it. <laughs> I have all of those books as well. And then some, and that's one of the things right now with not working as much. I mean, I'm really having more time to go through books because they all come out at once, right? They all come right. out like October, November, you pick up, you know, five, 10 cookbooks and then they just sit there and you don't use them. Actually, for a while, when I started the podcast, cookbooks I used to elevate my mic. So this mic I'm talking into, I had like four of them. And I'm like, I don't even know if I've opened these books and read them yet, but they're, I'm, you know, I have like $300 in cookbooks used, used just to elevate my microphone. But I've been trying to like work my way and just pick up a book and go through it kind of cover to cover and see what's interesting and then make some fun food for my family at home and, you know, to try out new dishes and see what works. Do you have a favorite culinary memory? Was there, is there something that sticks out, whether it be something at home or a special occasion or just like a really dynamite dining experience? Um, my favorite memory would probably have to be, um, I did a on the whim competition with culinary fight club. Um, you don't talk about culinary fight club, <laughs> but I did one with culinary fight club, um, in Louisiana. And I, my fiance at the time was my sous chef and it was kind of interesting because we had no idea what we were going to make. We only could get three items. Um, everything else they had at the table and we had to come up with a dish within an hour and we won first place taster's choice just off the random. So to me, I feel like that was a great experience because I got to spend it with him. Um, his mom was there. Some of my friends were there. It was just a really great experience at the time that, you know, a lot of stuff was happening. And so it was, it was a great experience. Yeah. That sounds like a good one. I don't have anything else for you. Why don't you tell people where they can find you? And I put everything in the show notes. Where do you want people to follow you and check you out? So you can follow me at um, Chef Quiche underscore D-Y-A-N. So it's Chef Quiche, K-I-S-H underscore D-Y-A-N on Instagram. Um, my other businesses, The Kitchen Spectrum and also Cook's Creed Foundation. I can be found at all three of those. <laughs> and then for my websites, they can be, um, they can go to www.thekeyingredientllc.com, um, the kitchen spectrum collective.com and Cook's Creed with a Z foundation.org. Wow. That's a lot of stuff to manage, isn't it? That is. <laughs> But I'll point everyone in the right direction. Perfect. Thanks, thanks so Perfect. much for coming on the show. I really Thank enjoyed you. this. Thank you. I really appreciate it. <laughs> to all our listeners, this has been the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. As always, you can find us at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on all social media platforms. Thanks so much and have a great week. 
Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.